0: The following message is brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity and was recorded at Westminster Chapel in Toronto. To learn more about the Ezra Institute's mission to declare the Lordship of Jesus Christ over every area of life, please visit www.ezrainstitute.ca. Well, good morning, my brothers and sisters, and let me take this opportunity at the beginning of this message to say Happy Mother's Day. I know this is a strange Mother's Day, but this is a time when we have all come to recognize, although we should have recognized it already, the great blessing and gift that mothers are. And these last couple of months have been a time that has been hard for mothers. I recognize that, but uh, I want you to know that your, your faithfulness with your family in your homes has not gone unnoticed by our Lord. And we are deeply appreciative and we thank you. And we want to ask for God's blessing on you today. And kids, if you're listening to this, uh, it's okay now just to look to your mom. uh, Maybe run and give her a hug. Uh, Let her know that you love her. Give her thanks. Wish her a happy Mother's Day. Well, we are continuing in our series which has been entitled More Than Conquerors. And the purpose of this series is to look at various moments in the history of God's people, various accounts in scripture, where we have seen God's people go through times of adversity, where they have been tested and have proven faithful. And we want to, as the book of Hebrews calls us to do, to consider the outcome of their way of life and to imitate their faith. And our concern here isn't just simply to say, hey, look at what David did, or look at what Jeremiah did, or look at what Jacob did, and go and do the same. Uh, Yes, we want to consider the outcome of their faith and imitate their way of life. But as we consider these texts, and as we look to God's word, what we see there is God's faithfulness and God's love. And we're reminded of what Paul says, that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We are more than conquerors in Christ and through Christ. And our concern is that as God's people at this time, as his church, that we aren't simply wanting to hang in there and let's just get through this. Our concern is that as God is is living and, and working among us and is speaking to us and is trying us and testing us, our concern is that we're actually growing in maturity, that we're being strengthened. And not that we just simply persevere or get through this, but that we overcome, that we prevail that we prove to be more than conquerors. And today I want to look at the life of Jacob and a very well-known moment in Jacob's life when he wrestled with God. But it's helpful to recognize the context. So Jacob for many years, for 14 years, had been serving his father-in-law, had been serving Laban. And then he had a vision. And you can read about this in Genesis chapter 31. And God spoke to him. And he commanded him, Arise, Jacob, get up and return, go back to the land of your kindred. And Jacob obeyed. He got up and he left and he went. But what God was calling him to do was difficult because in order to return to the land of his kindred, he had to go through the land of Seir. And that meant he had to face his brother, Esau. And Jacob and Esau were enemies. And Jacob feared this confrontation with his brother Esau. Now, this moment, this account in Jacob's life is instructive for us because we find ourselves in exile just as Jacob was in exile all those years in service to Laban. But here Jacob is making his way back. And so we have found ourselves in exile, separated from one another. But now it's a time where we are making our way back. And so as we consider the experience of Jacob as he made his way back, it's instructive for us as we make our way back. And what we see in this account is what God is doing. We see that God was with Jacob. He was walking with Jacob. And we see that God wrestled with Jacob. And as a result, Jacob was not only a man of prayer, but through the wrestling, he emerged, yes, wounded. He was limping. But through that, he was wiser. Through that, he was stronger. He was given a new name. And he had to face God before he could face Esau. But there was a transformation. There was a change. Whereas before he was behind, now he is out front. He is leading. And so, as we consider this text, as we consider Genesis 32 and those first few verses in Genesis 35, We are reminded that just as God was with Jacob, so he is with us. Just as God wrestled Jacob, so he wrestles us. And we are reminded that just as Jacob was a man of prayer, we at this time are a people of prayer. But Jacob was changed, he was wiser, he was stronger. And as God wrestles with us in this time, we need to prevail, we need to come through wiser and stronger as we abide in his blessing. So that's where we're headed. First, I want us to consider the beginning of this account. And you can see that in those first few verses of Genesis chapter 32. Here we see that God is with us. And so we are praying people. God had called Jacob, arise, go back to the land of your kindred. And Jacob obeyed. And he was on this path of obedience. And on the way, it says, as he went, look at verses 1 and 2, the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is the camp of God. This is God's camp. At the very beginning of the journey, as Jacob set out and was on his way, God met him. God gave him a vision of angels. This vision was meant to reassure Jacob, to let him know, yes, you are on the way. Yes, I know you have to face your brother, but I am with you. And we're reminded here of other verses in the Psalms. So think of Psalm 34, verse 7, where David says that the angel of the Lord is encamped around those who fear him. Or think of Psalm 91, verse 11, for he will command, God will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Well, just as the psalmist declared this, so it was true of Jacob. God commanded his angels concerning him to guard his way, to go with him. Jacob knew that, and he saw that. And kids, this is a wonderful reminder of the fact that even around your home, around your family, even around your bedroom at night, you know, perhaps you're afraid as you go to sleep at night. You're dark. It's dark. You're alone. Remember that God commands his angels concerning you. Uh, God is watching over you. He's protecting you. He gives Jacob that vision of angels. And notice when Jacob receives the vision. It's not at a moment of intense prayer. It's not at a moment where, in a sense, he has retreated to a sanctuary or a temple. You know, he's not off in a monastery somewhere contemplating God, and then he has this unique vision of angels and the heavens are opened up to him. That's not the case. He is walking along on the dusty road, He has his wives and his children with him. He has his servants with him. He has all of these animals. You see an account of all the animals with him. He's walking along on the way. And so it is for us. God is with us in the messiness, in the mundane routine of our day-to-day lives. It's not just when we're in church. It's not just when we have these special moments of prayer uh, in the messiness, in the day-to-day work of our lives. He is present. He's with us. He's watching over us. Now, Jacob had a vision of angels who were with him. That's true of us, too, of God's people. He commands his angels concerning us. But let's also remember what Jesus promised his disciples at that last supper. He said, I will send you the Spirit. The Father will give you the Spirit who will be with you forever. And remember on the day of Pentecost, the the image, the vision of the, the tongues of fire descending and that mighty rushing wind entering and filling the house. Well, that is a reality for you and for me, too, that God's Spirit is with us. He is with us forever. So it's not just that the angels of God are watching over us and protecting us. The very Spirit of God is watching over us, protecting us. He's with us. It's not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit. And remember also the vision that the Apostle John has, and you can read about that vision in Revelation chapter 1, but he has a vision of the risen Christ, and as he describes that vision of the risen Christ, he sees in the right hand of our risen Lord seven stars, and then he sees the risen Lord Jesus walking among seven golden lampstands, and he's told that those seven stars are the seven angels of the churches and the seven lampstands are the churches. And what this tells us is that the risen Lord Jesus is walking among his people. He is present with us. He has us in his hand. God gives Jacob that reassurance. Jacob, I'm with you. Yes, you have your camp, but my camp is with you. And it's a reminder for each one of us that God's camp is with us. Now, Jacob's initial response to the vision is not to pray, but to plan. And he has a strategy. He's afraid of Esau. He doesn't know what Esau is going to do, but he does hear a report that Esau is coming with 400 men. This sounds like Esau and an army. Jacob's afraid. And so his response to that is to separate the people, to separate two camps. And he thinks, If the one camp is attacked, the other camp will be spared. So Jacob makes this plan. His response to the fear of the threat of Esau is to separate the people. We need to separate the people. That will mitigate the destruction. That will mitigate the threat. But notice he makes that plan before he prays. This is not a prayerfully considered plan. He hasn't sought after the Lord. But he plans and then he prays. And here I want to pause and just take a moment to consider his prayer. We'll slow down and look at the prayer because his prayer is a model prayer. It's a model prayer for us generally in our day-to-day lives. It's a model prayer for us in this season that we're going through right now. So look at verse 9, how Jacob begins the prayer. He addresses God. O God, my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do you good. Now notice that Jacob is responding to the word of the Lord. O Lord, you have said to me. And so now Jacob in prayer responds to God's word. And this is a reminder to us, and it's something that we we've been reminded of in recent sermons, but it's a reminder to us that our prayer is responsive speech. We pray in response to God's word we pray because God has first spoken to us. And it's a reminder to us that every time we pray, we open the Bible in front of us and we read his word and we listen to the voice of our God. And then in prayer, we respond to his voice. And then notice how Jacob addresses God. "O God of my father, Abraham, and God of my father, Isaac. God is addressing God in covenant, or Jacob is addressing God in covenantal terms. You are the God of my fathers. You are the God of my father, Abraham, the God of my father, Jacob. You are in covenant with Abraham. You're in covenant with Jacob. You promised them descendants. I am one of their descendants. I belong to this covenant family. You promised them good. You promised them blessing. He addresses God as the God of the covenant. I belong to you. I'm in covenant with you. You have promised to bless me. Now, in the same way, we address God in covenantal terms. We come before him as his covenant people, and we address him in covenantal terms. And what that looks like for us is to address God as our Father. We know that we are God's covenant people because we have received his Spirit, because we've received the spirit of God. That is the sure sign and evidence that we are his covenant people, that we belong to him. We have his spirit. And remember what Paul says in Romans chapter eight, we have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. That's why we as God's people, as Christians address God as our father. We pray to him as our father. But we also pray to our father in Jesus' name in the name of His Son. And we know that we are His covenant people because we belong to His Son. We have been joined to His Son. We are members of His body. And so we come to Him in the name of Jesus. We come to Him in the name of His Son. It's through Jesus Christ that we have access to the throne of grace. And so every time we pray, we pray by the Spirit, to our Heavenly Father, in the name of His Son, and our Savior, and our Lord, Jesus Christ. And if you're listening to this message today, and you don't know the Lord Jesus, and you don't belong to the people of God, well, I want you to consider what I've just said. Through the Lord Jesus, you, you are given access to the throne of grace, Through the Lord Jesus, you are adopted as sons. You become dearly loved children of God. And you can address him as Abba Father. You can address him as your Heavenly Father. And so if you're listening to this, I appeal to you to turn to Christ, put your faith in Christ, and come to know God as your Heavenly Father. Then look at verse 10. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff, I crossed the Jordan and now I have become two camps. Jacob says, I'm not worthy. He comes before God in humility. And so it is with us. We come before God humbly. God is not in our debt. We do not Uh, He does not owe us anything. We come to Him in humility. We come to Him knowing that we have nothing, that we are nothing. And yet we come to Him knowing that He is a God of steadfast love and faithfulness. He knows our need. He loves us. He is faithful. And so we come to Him recognizing our need, recognizing our emptiness, recognizing we are not worthy. And yet we know that He is a Heavenly Father who is full of steadfast love and faithfulness. And Jacob cries out to his God, a God whose deeds are steadfast love and faithfulness. And then verse 11, here's his plea. Please deliver me from the land hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. Now notice here, Jacob is honest about his fear of Esau. He's honest about his needs, about his circumstance. And we come before God and and we pray honestly and candidly. Here's where I am. Here's my need. Here's my circumstance. circumstance. And we are specific. We're particular in our requests. Here's where I need help. Here's where I need deliverance. But also notice that Jacob's priorities in prayer are right. Right? So he doesn't pray, "Lord, look at all my possessions. I've got all these camels and all of these sheep and goats and these servants. Lord, I don't want to lose these. I've worked I've worked really hard to gain these." No, he doesn't. He doesn't he's not concerned about that. He simply prays for the mothers with the children. He prays for his family. His priorities are straight. And sometimes it, it is a time like this, a time of testing, where God helps us, helps purify, helps refine our priorities, helps us to see what really matters. That helps us in our prayer. And then finally, verse 12: But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Here Jacob reminds God of his own word and of his own promise. Jacob prays the promises of God back to God. And so every time we pray, we have our Bibles open and we are studying the promises of God and we pray the promises of God back to God. So here we see Jacob as a man of prayer and his prayer is a model for us as we pray. So Jacob knows that God is with him. Jacob makes his plans and Jacob prays. But even after praying, he then continues with his plan, his strategy. He's concerned that Esau is coming to attack him. He fears Esau. And so he wants to change Esau. And he thinks, I need to appease him. And so he sends all of his possessions and even his own family out in front of him. And so that Esau, before he gets to Jacob, will receive all of these gifts and so be appeased. And then Jacob will come last. And notice this, Jacob is is last and everyone else is in front of him. But as Jacob comes to the Jabbok River, he sends everybody across and then he is alone. And it's at this moment that God meets him and God wrestles with him. Yes, Jacob wanted to change Esau, but notice who needed the change. It was Jacob who needed to be changed, and God wrestles with him and changes him. And the result is that Jacob is, yes, wounded, but he is blessed. And yes, he is limping after this, but he's also leading after this. He's no longer behind. He's out in front. Having faced God, he's able to face his enemy. He's able to face Esau. Now, the wrestling happens at night. It's dark. Jacob doesn't know whom he's fighting. He may think that perhaps it's Laban who's been pursuing him and now he, he, he's turned back and he's, he is wrestling with Laban. More likely, I think Jacob thinks that he's wrestling with Esau and here he is wrestling with his brother and it is a wrestling match that lasts until the, the break of day. But it's at the break of day that Jacob realizes the one with whom he is wrestling. And it's at that point when Jacob recognizes and as he is holding on to him that uh, the man touches his hip. And the result is his hip is put out of joint. Even so, Jacob clings to his opponent and he asks for a blessing. Now, having been wounded and having been blessed, he He's given a new name. So look at Genesis 32, verse 28. Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Now, the new name is a revelation. His name is no longer Jacob, but Israel. Why? Because he has striven with God and men and has prevailed the reason it's a revelation is not because at that moment he realizes that he's been wrestling with God it's a revelation because at that moment he realizes that his whole life he has been wrestling with God as he wrestled with men as he strove with men he was striving with God he was wrestling with God From the moment of his birth, in fact, even before his birth in the womb, he had been striving with Esau. He'd been wrestling with Esau. And in these last 14 years of his life, he had been struggling. He had been striving, been wrestling with Laban. But what he came to know at that time is that as he was wrestling with Esau, he was wrestling with with God. As he was wrestling with Laban, he was wrestling with God. In this intimate moment, this intense moment of wrestling gave him the wisdom, the perspective to recognize how God had been working in his life and wrestling with him all along. Now, God wrestles with us too. And just think about this this image of wrestling. This is something that loving fathers do with their sons, with their boys. You know, dads wrestle with their boys. I have, I have very fond memories of wrestling with my father. And, uh, now I wrestle with my boys. And you know, there's, there's a purpose in the wrestling. As I'm wrestling with my boys, I am, I am pushing them. I'm testing them. I'm trying them. I, I want them to, to push back against me. I want them to fight back against me. I want them to learn how to fight smarter. You know, watch out when I do this move. There's a way to get out of that. Oh, you've got a new move now on me. Now, the whole thing, because I'm a loving father, is, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm carefully controlling what's going on. I'm exerting just enough strength to cause them to push back and fight against me. But I'm doing that because I want to teach them. And as, they are, as they're fighting back against me, they're learning to trust me. They know they're safe. They're learning to be wiser They're learning to be stronger. God does that with us. He's a loving father. He wrestles with us. He will push us. And he will push us because he wants us to push back. And as he's wrestling with us, we're learning wisdom. We're growing in strength. And we're growing in trust. Well, that's what happens with Jacob. And he's given a new name. Because he has striven with God and with man. And he has prevailed. And God, especially in these last two months, has been wrestling with us. He's been pushing us. He's been testing us. And he's been doing that because he wants us to push back. He wants us to struggle. He wants us to overcome. He wants us to grow in wisdom, to grow in strength. The question is, will it be said of us as we come through this? We have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Are we the true Israel of God? That's the question for God's people at this time. Now, as you turn the page and you look at the first few verses of Genesis 33, you'll see what the true Israel of God looks like. Notice the change in Jacob. Yes, he's limping now. You know, that's quite a scene just to imagine that as the sun is rising, Jacob going on his way, limping because of his hip. But, yes, he's limping, but he's leading. He's no longer behind. He is now out in front. And now he faces Esau himself. He's first. And he faces himself face to face. And through it, he has has this, uh, he's gained wisdom. He has the perspective of having wrestled with God. He now recognizes, yes, God, my whole life has been wrestling with me. God, my whole life has been present. He's been pushing me. I've, I've been struggling, yes, with Esau. Yes, I've been struggling with Laban, but I know I've been struggling with God. And he has prepared me for this moment and he has led me to this moment. And now Jacob is courageous. You know, he can face his brother. And he's wise because he has this perspective now on God's presence in his life, God's working in his life. Now, the question for us is, as we have been wrestling with God, are we growing in wisdom because of it? Has, it been giving us, has this time given us a new perspective on God's presence and work in our lives? Now, as we look out at the current situation, the current crisis, yes, there's wisdom in listening to what science has to tell us about this. This is our Father's world. It's his world. Uh, These viruses he has created. And he has given us the gift to study, to learn, to understand. We're still seeking to understand these viruses. But the knowledge that comes from epidemiologists, from virologists, that's God-given knowledge. We accept that. We are glad for it. It's evidence of God's grace that we understand and know what the spread of disease looks like and that we're growing in our understanding of those things. So, we don't just simply reject that. We see that in science, we gain an understanding of the world around us, and there's wisdom in that. However, what Jacob learned as he wrestled with God was that God was present and working throughout his life, and he was given a wider perspective. And this is wisdom, to have a wider perspective. Not to be just narrowly focused on one thing, but to take all things into consideration, more things into consideration. It's very important at a time like this that we have wisdom. And I believe the church that God has been wrestling with his people so that we would have this wisdom and then exercise the wisdom. So as God's people, with the gift of his word, and as a people that God has been wrestling with, we should have a wise perspective on the current situation, on our times. And part of this wider and wiser perspective is a wiser and wider understanding of who we are as human beings. Now let's remember that God made Adam in his image, and he put him in the garden to work it and to keep it. As the image of God, we were made to work. We were made to work, we were made to make a living. Now, I just read in the paper yesterday, the new numbers have come out uh, concerning unemployment in Canada and in Ontario. And in the last six weeks, one million people in Ontario have been put out of work. Now, we as human beings in the image of God have been made to work. And it is a threat It's an attack against who we are as the image of God. It's a threat. It's an attack against our humanity that we're not able to work and we're not able to make a living. Now, as we've been wrestling through this time and wrestling with God through this time, we see that more clearly now. We have a wiser perspective on this. Now, work requires collaboration. Many of us work for companies. That means groups of people. Work requires collaboration. And that's because God made us as social beings. Human beings are social beings because we are made in the image of God and God is triune. Now, whatever is being broadcast from mosques right now in the city of Toronto, we remember that the one true God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we are made in His His image. And the Father, the Son, and the the Holy Spirit live together in in an eternal bond of love, an eternal relationship of love. So as human beings in the image of God, we are social beings. We need to be together. We were made to be together. We need to work together. We need to play together. We need to sing together. We need to eat and drink together. We need to be together. This is basic to who we are as human beings. It's basic to the image of God. And prolonged social isolation is a threat. It's an attack to who we are as the image of God, as human beings. And as we've been wrestling through this and wrestling with God in this time, we see that more clearly now. Now, as human beings, we're also worshiping beings. We've been made to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. As worshiping beings, we are also social beings, and that means we worship the triune God together. We worship in community. We don't worship alone. We were made to worship together. And as God's redeemed people, we have been called and we've been commanded to come together and worship him as a congregation, to sit under his word together, to gather around his table together, to sing his praises together with one voice. Now, during this time of wrestling, we see that more clearly now. We're wiser because of it. Now, I want to conclude with this. I believe in these last two months, God's been wrestling with us. We've been wrestling with God. But now the day is breaking. Now is the time where we hold on to Christ. We cling to Christ. We ask for His blessing. This is a time where we are clinging to Him in prayer, clinging to Him in fasting, where we are asking for His blessing. But the day is breaking And that means this is also a time where we, having wrestled, having grown wiser, having been strengthened by the blessing of God's presence, the sanctifying work of His Spirit among us at this time, it's time where, like Jacob, we stop retreating, we stop hanging back. It's time for the people of God, it's time for the church to now go to the front. It's time to lead in the wisdom that God has given us. It's time to walk in the strength of God's presence with us. Think about what Paul says in Ephesians 3 verse 10 that through the church the manifold wisdom of God is made known. And that's what's missing right now. We we aren't seeing the manifold wisdom of God being made known in the newspapers or by our by the government. But the church has the manifold wisdom of God. We're called to make it known in Christ. And so now is a time where, yes, we are clinging to Christ and we are asking for His blessing. But it's also a time where we are being prepared to then, yes, maybe limping, but leading. A time to make the wisdom of God known in Christ not to be hiding behind anymore, but to go out front. Let's pray. Father, in this difficult season, we have known your presence. And you've been wrestling with us. But in wrestling with us, we know your intimate work in our life. And I pray that your people, as we grow in the blessing of your wisdom, would then faithfully step forward as ministers of that blessing, declaring the manifold wisdom of God in Christ. And so, Father, we do, we we cling to you, Lord Jesus, we cling to you, and we ask for your blessing. And Lord, lead us through this. And give us the boldness to go, to step forward. Give us the wisdom to see the path that you have set for us. For we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. This message has been brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. Please feel free to share this content, but do not charge for it or alter it in any way without the express written consent of the EICC. For more resources, please visit ezrainstitute.ca.